Well, what a wonderful thing it is that we can gather and study the Word of God and proclaim the Word of God and listen to the Word of God in freedom. We don't yet have the situation where we expect soldiers to break in. That may come someday in this country in our lifetime, if not mine, maybe our children's. But for now, we have the, the right and the freedom, and it's a wonderful thing. Let's look at Genesis picking up in chapter 45 and on through the end of chapter 46. I'm not going to read that much. There's a list of names of the family of Jacob that I won't read for the sake of time, primarily. It's important, I'll mention it later. But this is under the title, Goodness and Mercy. I may have given the wrong title. I'm not sure. Anyway, Goodness and Mercy from Genesis 45, picking up at verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Joseph and Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt." is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for, the, for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up also. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then, Joseph, then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought 
in, with him into Egypt. And then at verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. And the persons of the, of the house of Jacob, or all the persons of the house of Jacob, who came into Egypt, were 70. Let's pray. We thank you, O God, for your covenant promise. We thank you for Jesus, in whom all those promises are yes and amen. He fulfills the words of the prophets. He accomplishes all that you gave him to do. The perfect son, the perfect redeemer is he, our Lord, our Messiah, our Christ, the anointed one. And in him, we live eternally. He said, I, I have come that may have life and have it abundantly. And he said, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. We do not dwell in the land of famine. We dwell in a land of riches and abundance because of Christ. Oh, Lord, may our hearts be full this day. May our ears be set to hear the Word of God. And may we practice what we hear, for our Jesus is alive, and He is coming again someday to judge the living and the dead. And we pray in His name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you noticed or not, but in verse 21, Jacob's family is called the sons of Israel for only the second time in all these many chapters we've been looking at. And that catches my attention, and it should catch yours as well as a student of Scripture. You know, of course, that Israel was the name that God gave to Jacob back in chapter 32 following the nighttime wrestling match when Jacob's life was spared. And then in chapter 35, God appeared to Jacob again, this time at Bethel. And he confirmed his covenant, that covenant that he had made first with Abraham, and then he confirmed with Isaac, and then again to Jacob. And he said to Jacob then in chapter 35, your name is Jacob, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Well, that promise, that covenant that God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which again appears here in chapter 46, that is in the background through all this narrative, through all these uh, events and these circumstances regarding Joseph and Judah. But the promise of a land and a people was originally a command given to Adam and Eve when God said to the first family, 
the Father of all of mankind, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And you know that God gave to Adam a land. It's called the Garden of Eden, right? And it was the best of all the land, an incredible place, a land of orchards and fields of crops, flowering shrubs, shrubs as I can imagine it. We know that there were uh, rivers flowing through the property. We know that animals grazed peacefully, at peace with one another. We know that it was a place of absolute beauty and perfection, a place where God dwelled with His people. For that garden was God's kingdom on earth. It was His temple. It was the place of His presence where He walked with Adam and Eve. He dwelled there. And Adam's mission was to subdue the earth and have dominion over all of God's creation. And so that command that God gave to Adam and Eve was actually to extend the garden, which, which was, had geographical limits. It had a certain number of acres, we might say, okay? We don't know how many. But Adam and Eve were to extend that garden to the ends of the earth and fill the earth with image bearers, his sons and daughters, bearing the image of God, thus causing the glory of God to cover the earth. That was the original covenant or promise God made with mankind. The covenant of creation, we sometimes refer to it as the covenant of works. But we know that Adam and Eve broke that covenant, and they brought ruin to themselves and to all of their posterity, all of mankind and creation through the curse of sin. But God's plan would not be ruined. And He Himself promised to undo the curse and the effects of sin and destroy evil through the seed of the woman. For God still had a land planned and He still had blessings intended for His people, His holy nation. Years and years later, the psalmist would express the goal, which is this. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory cover all the earth. What once was before the fall would be once again. And so years later, God again chose one man as there once was one father, Adam, there was again another man, one man, a father, Abraham. He would be the new head, the new head of God's people, the one through whom God's plan would be accomplished. Of course, no longer by works, no longer a covenant of works, but a covenant of grace, a covenant of promise. And God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And, the, and God said, in you, Abraham, though at that time he had no, no son, no heir, God said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he promised to Abraham a land, the land of Canaan, a land which would someday be described as a land flowing with milk and honey, a beautiful place. And indeed, when Moses was still in the wilderness and he sent spies across the river to, to spy out the land, to see what kind of a land this was, they discovered it was what? An exceedingly good land with amazing fruit, with beautiful trees. 
it would be a place like the Garden of Eden. And it would be the place of God's presence. And yet now, in our story, when Jacob was an old man, it was not at all like the Garden of Eden. It was experiencing a severe famine. It was a life-threatening famine. And Jacob was concerned. In fact, it was so severe, we've read, that Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to buy food. Not just once, but twice they had to go, even though going back to Egypt the second time with Benjamin in tow threatened Benjamin's life, who was now Jacob's favored son. But that was the only way they could survive this severe famine, for they heard that there was food in Egypt, and they could go there and survive. The narrative continues in chapter 47, and the author will tell us the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the land of Canaan, we're told, languished. It suffered. It was starving because of the famine. And the sons of Israel, the children of the promise, had been threatened with extinction by starvation. But God, but God would accomplish His purposes. But God would fulfill His promise. But God would not be defeated. Remember what Joseph had told his brothers who sold him into slavery? He said, Really, it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God who sent me here to preserve life and to save for your remnant on earth. God sent me here. I am God's servant to keep Israel alive. And Joseph saved them that they might live. And through Pharaoh, he gave them a place. He gave them what? Sounding familiar? A land, a land called Goshen, which was what? The best of all the land of Egypt. Are you hearing some common themes? And from there, they would grow into a great nation. Just look ahead to chapter 47 and verse 27. In, this, in the land of Goshen, they gained possessions, and they, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Are you hearing a common theme? The theme of the fulfillment of God's command to Adam and Eve. God is a covenant-keeping God. He Himself will cause His people to be fruitful and multiply. He Himself will cause His name to be exalted among the nations. He Himself is doing what only He Himself could do. And so this narrative we've been studying for all these months is nothing less than God directing every circumstance, every detail toward the fulfillment of His promise to Abraham, even in the face of what appears to be these constant setbacks and challenges and difficulties and roadblocks. Joseph had ushered everyone out of the room 
before he revealed himself to his family. Remember that. He did that in private with everyone else gone. But then afterwards, of course, that secret could not be contained. And it was made known to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household that among all the foreigners that had traveled to Egypt, among the the vast number of people that had come there for food, was Joseph's own family. And Pharaoh welcomed them with open arms, these foreigners, these Israelites, these Jews. And he gave them a place to live in safety. Again, the best of all the land. Not some terrible corner that was impoverished, but the best of all the land. And even before they moved there, even before they received the the blessings of Goshen, Pharaoh took from his own riches his own possessions, and he showered them upon the family of Jacob. He gave them an an abundance to provide for them in the meantime. Why did he do this to these strangers? He did not know. These would come from a foreign land. There's only one reason why the sons of Jacob received this this favor from Pharaoh. Because of their relationship with Joseph because they were identified with the one Pharaoh loved. He so loved Joseph that he loved the ones Joseph loved. He delighted in doing good to Joseph's family. He treated them like he treated Joseph. And this is why he singled out this family, this group of people, from among all the strangers, from among all the foreigners, he singled them out for special favor and for such gifts because they were identified with Joseph. Dear ones, all the world, all the world is threatened by a famine. And I'm not talking about a famine of food right now, a famine of food and water, but a famine of righteousness. But there is one, the one to whom Joseph has been always pointing, Jesus the Christ, who saves from the famine of righteousness. How? By giving of his own resources, by giving of his own royal righteousness to those he loves, even as Joseph gave to those he loved of his own resources to cover their need. We read it earlier, David's David's famous words, the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want in days of famine. He makes me lie down in green pastures that are rich. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where threats are all around me, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And so surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
And let's say it together with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, beloved, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we all do. As we live in this cursed world, surrounded by threats, you will fear no evil if by faith you know that God keeps His covenant promise and that in His goodness and mercy, because the Lord is your shepherd, you are safe. In spite of whatever famine is threatening you, because you know what? Jesus, the ruler of the world, has provided for you of his own resources, and he has provided for you a good land, the place of his presence. The Father loves his Son. You love your children. The Father loves his Son with a perfect love with an infinite love. But the Father loves those who are identified with His Son, as Pharaoh loved those who are identified with Jesus. Jesus Himself said, the Father loves you because you have loved Me. The Father has the same favor for you as He has for His Son. That is a revolutionary difference to us, and it lifts our spirits and gives joy to our steps. The book of Genesis was written to the sons of Israel after they had left Egypt. And you remember, Egypt at that point had become ruled by a pharaoh who did not remember Joseph. It had become, in fact, the place where they were slaves under this other Pharaoh. And they now, having been uh, taken out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God and following Moses into the wilderness, they looked at the wilderness with an uncertain future. Well, let me say better. It It was uncertain only if they looked at the wilderness and didn't consider the promises of God. See, there was the appearance of famine in the wilderness. They looked around and had no meat. They looked around and had no water. And they said, we're going to starve to death in the wilderness. There's a famine, as it were, if they didn't look at the promises of God. Life is uncertain. We all have to face various threats at times, and life feels like wandering in the wilderness. And it can be scary. Circumstances, news, people, losses. It can be frightening. But only if you look at the wilderness. What should you do, beloved? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face because in Jesus, all of God's promises are certain. Paul said what? 
all of His promises are yes in Christ. God makes a promise. And in His Son, He says, yes, I will do that for My people. It was time for the brothers to go home and bring their father back. And as Joseph sent his brothers away, he said, don't quarrel on the way. Now, if that's the correct translation of the Hebrew text, it means, come on, don't fight about whose fault this is. Get over it. It's done. Let's move on. But another possible translation is given to us in the New King James Version, and it's this. See that you do not become troubled along the way. And if this is what Joseph was actually saying, if that's the correct translation, he's saying, don't be afraid as you go back to Canaan to bring your father here. Don't be afraid as you travel. Don't be afraid to do what I say. Don't allow doubt to arise in your hearts to dissuade you from coming from the land of Canaan, the land promised to Abraham and Isaac, and to dwell here with me in Goshen. And I think God's word to Jacob in chapter 46 confirms this, or may confirm it anyway, when he said, do not be afraid to go, out, go down to Egypt. And he confirmed his promise there. I will make of you a great nation. I will be your God. I, I myself will go down with you, and I will bring you back. He's saying, trust me, my word is faithful. I will do all that I have promised. I will do all that I have said. I myself will go with you, and I myself will bring you back. And they would come back under Moses, and of course, under Joshua years later, after the sins of the Amorites were filled up, as God said in Genesis chapter 15. And so they returned home. Just imagine this scene. They returned home to their father. And they told him the news. I can't imagine. Joseph, your son, our brother, he's alive. And he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's like, yeah, right. Oh, come on. This is not something you want to be telling me right now. But then he looked at all the stuff they had brought back, the wagons and all the goods and all the food. And we're told his spirit revived. His soul was restored. His heart was strengthened. He had renewed vigor. He became like a young man. It's as if from Jacob's perspective, Joseph was risen from the dead. So think back to all of Jacob's worry and concern. He had been so troubled, so afraid, so distraught, so paralyzed by fear. And he said at one time, all this has come against me. He was weighed down by this black cloud of trouble. And he was crushed down to the dirt as it were. All these things are against me, he said. What is so incredible, beloved, is that the very circumstances that he considered were against him, all this distress, all this trouble, <laughs> 
all these things were actually for him. Simeon and Benjamin were back. Joseph was alive. None of what Jacob feared took place. Not one thing. Indeed, as it came to pass, it was the very opposite. God had brought great good to his family, not evil. Jacob could not have written, he could not have scripted out a more wonderful outcome. Could he have? And the news that Joseph was alive was a complete game changer for his family because they would go from famine to fortune, from desperation to prosperity. And so is the fact that Jesus is alive. Think of the despair of the disciples as they watched their Lord get nailed to the cross and hung there and the spear in his side, bleeding, wounded, tortured with pain of the cross, this cruel instrument of of Roman death. All the hopes they had in this one, this teacher, this rabbi, crushed and ruined and driven into the ground by the cross. How now would God fulfill His promise? Jesus is dead. We, We heard Him cry out. We saw Him take His last breath. And then some women went to the tomb to finish preparing this dead body for a proper burial. And their hearts were broken. Their eyes were weeping. They walked with slow steps. And their joy had been turned to mourning. And then they heard the news. He is not here. The one you look for. He's not here. He's risen. Amen. He is risen. He's alive. And what happened? Their spirits revived. Mark records that uh, trembling and astonishment had seized them. And when you come to understand that Jesus is alive, that He's a living Savior, you experience that same astonishment, that same revival of heart, the same reversal of fortune as, jo- as Jacob's family experienced from the threat of famine to the prosperity of the fatness of a good land. For he delivers us from the poverty of sin and gives us the prosperity of forgiveness and peace with God and oneness and fellowship with one another and the joy and certainty of eternal life. For Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. That is good news. That will lift your spirits. That will put a spring to your step. That will turn your morning into dancing. But it's good news not just for us, but for the world as well. 
It's good news for every nation and tribe and language. No people is excluded because God, yes, will extend His kingdom to the ends of the earth that His glory cover the earth. Notice at the very end of chapter 46 that 70 persons of the house of Jacob came into Egypt. Their names are listed. I didn't read them. But go back and read this list of names. There are 70 persons, we're told, who came into Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there, and his two sons. It's not a random coincidence that there were 70. It's prophetic of the gospel ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Long ago, let me go back long ago, you know, of course, that God looked down upon the world and saw that it was full of iniquity and transgression. It was full of corruption. And God determined to destroy the world by a flood. He was going to sort of uncreate this world. But He saved Noah and his family because what? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was the favored son, if you will. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And their children, their offspring, are listed in chapter 10 of Genesis. Go back there sometime and read their names. The sons, the descendants of Noah, there are 70 of them. And from those 70, we're told, from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. And then mankind, the nations rebelled against God, you know the story, by building the Tower of Babel. So God confused their language and cast them off. Now Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9 speak of this, where it says, The Most High disinherited the nations, but chose Jacob as his portion. Okay, the Lord's portion is Jacob. And following Babel, or Babel, whichever, we're given the line of Shem, we're given the line from Shem to Terah, who was the father of Abraham. And then right there, immediately in chapter 12, God makes His promise to Abraham. And then from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to the 12 sons, from the 12 sons to the 70 who went into Egypt. And the 70 multiplied and became a great nation as God had promised Abraham. And that's how the book of Exodus starts out. And way back, a long time ago, when Pastor Ben started preaching through Exodus, I thought, someday I want to preach the story of how they got to Exodus. So here we are. How they became this great nation. So the 70 that were in Goshen, they, it speaks prophetically that God will in fact reclaim the nations He once disinherited in chapter 10. And they will become a vast people filling the earth. And when will this happen? This will happen after Jesus rises from the dead. As Israel prospered in Egypt after Joseph figuratively rose from the dead. And following Pentecost, which is the undoing of Babel, 
The gospel is proclaimed to the nations God once cast off, and now he's gathering his people from all those nations. As Jesus commanded, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall make disciples of all the nations and gather them together as Jesus is building his church, his one holy nation, the new Israel, comprised of people from every nation, a kingdom that will extend to the ends of the earth in fulfillment of his promise to Abraham, in fulfillment of his command to Adam. And as Joseph more than covered the loss his brothers incurred, so Jesus more than covers the loss we incurred in Adam because he accomplishes all the promises of God As I said earlier, Paul said, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And so let me ask you this question. If God can direct all these events, if God can direct all of history from the beginning to the end, can God not care for your life of 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years? Can God not care for you? Why would we be anxious? Why would we be concerned? Why would we worry? Why do you sometimes think, as I sometimes think, woe is me, all these things are against me, all these things are breaking me down, all this trouble. Why do we think that when the Bible says we are more than conquerors? Through him who loved us. If God showed goodness and mercy to these sons of Jacob, to these sons of Israel, won't he show the same even more to you, the true Israel, his beloved adopted children in Christ? He said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things your father will not withhold any good from you you are his child he loves you he gave you his son his best gift will he hold something withhold something small Beloved, our home is not the the land of starvation, but the land of the living because Jesus is alive and Jesus is the ruler over this land. As Joseph ruled over Egypt, let that completely revive your spirit. And so Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? A place? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so we shall dwell in the house of the Lord. For how long? O Lord, our God, our Father, how great is the love with which you loved us. 
that you would send your only begotten Son for sinners who would die for a wicked man. Maybe someone might give his life for a good person, but you showed your love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, it was not us in us to do good. And so you sent Christ to fulfill your promises, to fulfill all your commands, to undo the effects of the curse, to give us eternal life, even abundance, to give us a place in the eternal Canaan, the new Jerusalem. How can we say thanks? Just with our love for you, O God, and for one another. And may this good news be proclaimed to the nations for you are gathering people from every tribe and people and tongue all into your one holy nation. What an incredible privilege it is to be your partner, O oh God, in this mission, partnering with Jesus as he is building his church. And we pray in his name. Amen.